The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Uh, my name is Ed Hensler. For those of you who are visiting, I am not the lead pastor here, so if you will come back again uh, in another week, you will hear Stacy. Uh, I'm going to embarrass him quickly because I can, and I'm the one with the microphone. Uh, probably not exactly what he's expecting, though. Where is he? Oh, there he is. Uh, Stacy and Jamie as well and their family are a great gift to this church. And if you don't know it now, you'll know it after I'm done preaching and for the next couple of weeks, people in the pulpit. Uh, he, ministry is different than any other career. It will take every ounce of what you have if you let it. Now, Stacy is good and he has great boundaries, but he is an amazing man of God, as is Jamie, an amazing woman of God. And they love you and they work tirelessly for you. So it has been a blessing uh, to, for me to be able to prepare this week and give him a break. Um, and others will be doing so the next two weeks. Um, remember, though, often, as often as you can, that we ought to be taking care of him and his family. And if all you do is pray and ask the Lord to protect him and the rest of the leaders of this church, that is good, a good thing. Uh, but he is a gift to us, and so is Jamie, and so we're thankful for them. Uh, and so you're stuck with me, not the uh, brightest bulb in the lamp, so to speak, uh, but I love you also, and I am happy to be part of this church. Um, and so let's uh, get to work here today. Uh, as I said, I'm not the brightest bulb. I do know one thing that I'd like to talk to you about, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here, here's how I'm going to start, taking my cue from Stacy, and he usually starts out with some funny story. If you've noticed, those are getting longer and longer. I think he thinks he's a bit of a comedian, which is fine. It's funny to some extent, right, Frank? If you notice, Frank and I kind of usually exchange glares after about the 15th minute of the story, uh, just laughing to ourselves. But uh, let me start this way. Have you ever been convinced of something in your, in your mind, so convinced that you have to share it? It's either a love or a passion or just something you feel strongly about, and you just you have to convince others of this truth, right? I was thinking about this and thinking, well, how, how has that happened? What, what illustration could I give? Um, and I thought back, this was not where I was feeling convicted or strongly about something. It was about someone else feeling convicted and strongly about something, and they were selling me a product. Now, I have two good friends that I grew up with, and they love surfing. I am not a great surfer, but I love my friends, and I enjoy spending time with them. And so they were going surfing, and they do so during the winter sometimes because they're nuts. And so I needed a wetsuit. And so I, this was about 10 years ago. Uh, I go into Wave Riding Vehicles, a local surf shop, and I run into who, exactly who you'd expect to sell me a wetsuit. He had long blonde hair, and he said dude a lot. And uh, he was excited about my question, I need a wetsuit. And there's walls of these wetsuits, how difficult, it's a suit. I mean, do you need that many of them? Um, but of course, there's different sizes and shapes and all sorts of stuff. And so he, he said, oh, I have, this, is, this is awesome, you're perfect timing, there's some new technology in wetsuits, who knew? Um, but, but I have the perfect one. He was just, he knew it. Not only because he is his job to know about wetsuits, he has several wetsuits and he knows from experience this is the one for me, convinced, right? So he takes me over to the side of the rack um, and it's the zipperless wetsuit. This is the new technology. Raise your hand if you've heard of this technology. I don't think they have them anymore because they weren't so good. 
Um, but but the, the, the concept is, hey, why bother with a zipper? It just lets water, cold water in and air. Let's go zipperless, meaning, if you, you could probably get to this point by now, you have to fit through a hole that big, <laughs> the neck hole, right? And if you look at me, I don't know why he wasn't tracking with this, and he wasn't catching on, but he's like, this thing is awesome. I'm trusting him. I'm getting excited. I'm thinking I'm going to be like, here are my buddies who have 20-year-old wetsuits. I got like this new shiny wetsuit. And I don't move very quickly. Like anything that's going to restrict me, it's not a good idea either. Um, so so I'm, I'm in. I'm, 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 he's convinced me. But when he shows me the price tag, I think, you know, I, I owe it to myself. This is a couple hundred dollars. I need to try this sucker on just, just to try it on, right? So I go into the dressing room. He points me to the dressing room. I go in there, and I start about an hour-long journey <laughs> to get myself through the neck hole of a three-millimeter neoprene suit. And so I do. It takes about 25 minutes. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I have no strength left in my arms. I'm dripping with this 400-watt halogen light shining directly down on me, which I never even knew in dressing rooms until that day. And I'm like, this guy's nuts. This thing, I'm exhausted right now. I need to sit down to regain strength, and it'd be nice to have a cup of water and maybe a snack, <laughs> just to rest. So I finally get my strength back. I'm not, I'm not even embellishing. Becca will tell you I embellish stories, but, but this is really, I'm 20 minutes at least invested into this thing, and I got a problem. I can't leave with the wetsuit on. Uh, and I'm not about to buy it and go home and rest. So, so I, I just rest and I get my strength back and I start to pull this thing off again and I'm again exhausted. I finally get it off um, and, I, and I go out and he's amazed to see me. He's like, what are you, you're still here? I'm like, yeah, I'm still here. And guess what, this body of, the suit of death that you let me try on, I ripped it a little bit because I couldn't get it off. And he's like, you ripped neoprene? Because I never even heard of that before. I'm like, yeah, well, look at me and look at the suit you had me. You know what he says? This is a no joke. He goes, you stocky guys ought to stay with the zipper. <laughs> I left there unconvinced of this new technology and not really buying into his, uh, his wetsuit, uh, zipperless wetsuit concept. So, and I was exhausted for the next week. Who needs surfing when all you need to do is try on a suit and take it off, and then you've, um, you've exercised for the week? So, so here, here's, that was my lead-in. You can decide later if this was a good lead-in to what I'm about to say. Turn to e That was good? All right. Small victory. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, turn to Ephesians 2. Let me paint some context about where we're heading. Uh, who wrote this book and when? Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians, the letter to Ephesians. He wrote it from prison, right? So he's in prison writing this letter to the church at Ephesus 62 years after Christ died, right? And if you, if you don't know, uh, most of you probably will, but, but the Apostle Paul was not one of the 12 disciples that walked with Christ during his ministry on earth. He had um, a bit of a unique experience, though, that, that we can't share, we don't share with him, uh, but it sets him apart a little bit. The scriptures tell us about Paul uh, in Philippians. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as for righteousness under the law, blameless. This guy was legit, if you know what I mean. Like, you think about a presidential candidate, like, 
private schools all the way up through college, then we hit Yale, then we hit Harvard, then we've done nothing wrong our whole lives, president. Paul was on that track from an early age. He's tracking with the Jewish faith to be spiritual leader. I mean, he is there, right? Hates Jesus, hates him. Doesn't, never met him, the scriptures say, but persecution big time. And the scriptures tell us this. In Acts 9, it says, um, this guy was so devoted to the faith that he was bent on persecuting the church and the followers of Christ. Persecution, Webster says, is to harass or punish in a manner designed to injure, grieve, or afflict, specifically to cause to suffer because of belief. So specifically causing pain because of a belief. He was killing people and throwing them into prison, and he was justified to do it based on his upbringing and, and, um, and, and what he believed, right? So, so he's on his way to do this again, and guess who shows up? Christ. Knocks him down, right? So now he's on the ground looking up, and, and the voice from heaven says, Saul, this is his name before Paul, just so you don't think he's confused. Like, God didn't show up to a different guy. It was Paul, but he was called Saul before he was Paul. Just trust me on that one. So he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and, and confused, looking up after being knocked down, says, who are you, Lord? Like, is this Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Now, this is the, it had to be the greatest call-out of all time. You ever been called out on something? Like, I see this all the time with my kids. Like, they don't know I'm standing there, and Anderson right hook to Alex, right? And you see Alex sees me there. He doesn't see me there. And he turns around this look like, oh, boy. Right? And this is the greatest call out of all time. He has killed people that loved Christ. And Christ is like, what are you doing? Knocks him down. What are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? From that day forward. So here's a guy convinced, so convinced in what he knows to be true in his faith. I mean, zealous. He said he's, the scriptures say he's blameless. His per, in his life, he's just after his faith. Christ knocks him down and says, what are you doing? It shows up, the guilt, right? Oops, like I killed people on accident. You're the real deal. His, the rest of his life, he spends convincing, pleading with everyone he comes into contact with that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to put your faith in him. And so when we read this text, listen to it, not as words on a page, listen to it as a man convinced that this is the God of the universe talking, and we need to do, like this is, this stuff is real. It's not fake. It's a decision that needs to be made, and so we, we read it with those minds. Not, I think I fear sometimes, especially those of us who have been around the block, who have been in church for a long time, we, we pick up the scriptures, and we don't expect it to have supernatural powers that it does. It's God's word. It's rich, and it's real. So let it wash over you when we read it this morning. Um, let me also just mention that if you look at chapter 1, it's written to the saints at Ephesus. So lest you think the gospel is only necessary for salvation, we're wrong. Because Paul's writing it to Christians. He's, he's explaining the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to Christians. So if you're here and you know Christ, listen well. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, listen well. I invite you to let your guard down for a few moments this morning and just... If you don't believe or haven't believed, all right, I, I get that. Everyone kind of navigates that. But you're here. And so I would ask, 
Give it the benefit of the doubt. Let your guard down for just a few minutes and, and test it that way. Ephesians 10, or Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our, nature, of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we come to you this morning after singing these songs that, that proclaim you as Lord. And we ask you to change our hearts, even now. I pray that you'd increase our faith, that even though we can't see you, that you would change our hearts, that we would know you in a deeper way. I pray that you'd apply, that the Spirit would apply the words of your scriptures to hearts here, that they would not remember anything of Ed Hensler and remember everything of your scriptures. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So here's where we're going. This ten, these 10 verses, I've broken them out. We're going to do a high-level flyby of, of all 10, three, three sections, who we are without God. That's verses 1 through 3. Then we're going to hit 4 through 7, which is what God did. And then 8, 9, and 10, our new identity in Christ. Those are three sections. Um, one of the things I love about Stacy, as a side note, is he's, he just talks in outline format. So it's really easy to follow along and take notes. And I was thinking, I, I could just imagine Jamie at home like, or, Jamie, for dinner tonight, I'd like to have three, if we could just have three things. We're going to start with this, and then we're going to, he, he just, that's who he is. He talks like that, and I love it because I'm able to follow it. Does he do that? He doesn't. It's just limited to just the sermons, I guess. But, 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 but these are my three points. Um, and so if you're taking notes, that's where we're going. Um, so our identity without God, if you, if you recall just from those um, few verses, it starts out, we, were, we are dead in the trespasses and our sins. And then he, he says, um, we are by nature children of wrath. Let, let me unpack this a little bit too with an illustration from my family. Um, no one taught Anderson how to hit. He's my two and a half year old. No one taught him how to hit or cry when he doesn't get his way or be selfish. He just was, he came out that way. He came out hitting and screaming. And it, when it says children of wrath, it doesn't mean, or by nature we're children of wrath, it doesn't mean that he, Anderson is as bad as he possibly ever could be and he does every possible bad thing. It just means he's bent to view himself as primary. Does that make sense? Like his eyes, when he views life, everything is for his own happiness and his own joy, right? It's not, hey, I need to think of mommy first. It's not. It's just that's not how we're wired. If you don't have kids and you don't believe me, I would like to offer him to come home with you this afternoon. He, just watch him for five minutes. That's all you'll need. And, and you'll know the right hook is coming 
If you say something he doesn't like or you don't give him the goldfish that he wants, it's coming. Now, that's just our natural bent. And you know from our Genesis study why that is. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, relationship with God was forever changed and sin came in the world and by nature we're children of wrath. It's who we are. Um, Here's some other examples. Because even though we don't run around as adults hitting and punching each other and throwing temper tantrums on the outside, let's be honest. On the inside we're doing it. Maybe you'll resonate with this. You get cut off in traffic. Are you being like, the guy must be in a hurry. No. How about, this was my favorite. You're at Walmart. I come undone. You're at Walmart. There's 30 registers. There's 30 registers. There's one open. And you're in line. You're you're number 15. And you're like, come on. I have a life here. I can't stand. And right. And then seemingly the, the, the cashier's not ringing up anything. She's just looking at a coupon or something. And there's some argument going on. And you're like, come on, tick, tick. I've left shopping carts full of stuff in the middle of the aisle because I'm like frustrated, right? We view ourselves as primary. How about this one? When the wife asks, hey, can you watch the kids? And I'm thinking to myself, does she not see the Giants game is on right now? Like the Giants game is on, it's fourth quarter, two minutes left. Hey, Ed, could you, right? I I view myself as primary in that case, and I'm like, come on. Um, When my neighbor chooses to build his shed during my nap. Becca, do you remember that? Come on. Really? Hammering? You can't use a screw gun or something? Um, when I get rear-ended by a teenager, and there's a million of these scenarios. So, so that's what we're by nature children of wrath. We don't come out going, praise you, Lord. You're Lord of heaven and earth. I love you. No. We come out being like, who's in my way? What am I not getting today for me? That's just our natural bent. So who are we without God? Point number one, we're dead sinners. We care about ourselves as primary. That's what the Bible says. Now, our church believes and I believe that this is the only uncorrupted source of truth. So we may not like what's in here, but it's the only uncorrupted source of truth. And so we believe what it says. And if it says I'm a liar, I can disagree with it all day long. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It means I'm wrong. All right, so let's go to point number two. I'm going to go after verses four, five, six, and seven. One of the most, the sweetest turns. So here's our identity in Christ. And then it says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and, seat, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. So he, he, he creates us, right? He creates all things, including us. On the, he, creates us he creates the planet and earth and water and the sun and all these things, but his prize is the, we are created beings in the image of God. And now we've essentially turned our back on him because of Adam and Eve's sin, and we have no relationship with God. And he's not having it. Let's, here's, my, here's my illustration on this. In the spring of 2010, Danny, the sound guy, Wilkin, you know who he is, right? Raise it. Raise it. Let me see. Danny Wilkin, everybody. Danny, the sound guy, Wilkin, says, hey, I need to build, I want to build a, uh, an entertainment center for my living room. Can you help me? Now, I'm no particular, particular woodsmith, but I have a lot of tools and I have all my fingers. So people say, would you help me? And I said, sure, Dan. Uh, I'll help you. Now, I should have, I should have at least asked some <laughs> probing questions, it would have seemed. 
Um, about, what, two months ago we dropped it off at your house? It took us two years to build. Now, some of that was we just we both have kids and families, and we didn't always get to it. But um, every Thursday night, we tried to get together and build this thing, and it was very elaborate. When I first saw it, I said, you know, a rectangle shape is generally pretty good. You can put a TV on it. You can fill it with whatever. And he's like, nope, that's not what I want. So he had this plan for all this intricate, like, drawers, and this is for DVDs, and every piece of that, that furniture had a specific purpose, right? And it's beautiful, I have to say. We, we enjoyed doing it. We didn't lose any fingers in the process. I got to watch Dan use some ta- power tools for the first time uh, that scared him initially, but he became quite good at. Now, what happens, indulge me for a moment with your imagination, if that piece of furniture sprung to life and said, I don't care about you or what you, I, I just don't care. And I'm not being no TV stand. I'm going to be a piano. And I don't care what you say. That's what I'm doing. I mean, Dan has every right. So do I, actually. I'm a little invested at this point. To be like, what? You can't do that. I made you for this, for X, Y, Z reasons. This is what you're made to do, and this is what you're made for. And he can be angry at that, can he? Look at Romans, if you want to turn there with me, Romans 1. Just back a couple books. Chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Right? We're intended for this. We're not doing that, God. We're going to be this. The wrath of God, hear it is revealed against all ungodliness. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So you look at a frog, you look at a tree, you look at the ocean, you look at a sunset. Clearly, he's displayed this to creation. Yet, in our evil sin natures, we suppress the truth. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. So we're created to worship. We choose not to worship God. Instead, we're going to create idols, and we're going to worship those. That's what this is saying here. And then in verse 28, if you skip down a little bit, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of, envy, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, heartless ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. What an indictment. Again, what we were without God. And, and it's easy for us to say, well, that's not me. I mean, that's crazy. Notice how the disobedient to parents is thrown in there around malicious and haughty and haters of God, disobedient to parents. So God knows this, and he's like, he's not having it. But, but remember, it says we were dead. Last time I checked, dead people can't do anything. So this is referring to our spiritual death, and spiritual deadness can't come to spiritual life by itself, right? 
So we, have, we hear these words, but God, being rich in mercy, with the great love with which he loved us. He made us alive. Who, 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 made, who did the work there? What does it say? Who, who made us alive? He made us alive. Praise God. So again, we're going to get into works, but, but he's doing the work here. Why? Because it's his people. He wants a relationship. He's coming after us. He didn't have to do that. I mean, just like if, if, if Dan's piece of furniture rose up against us, you know what we'd do? We'd hack it to pieces with the same power tools we, right? The, we would be angry. Like, no, you're not, doing, you're not being no piano. I'm going to knock you out. And God, why didn't he do that? Do you ever think about that? Why didn't he just wipe us out? He could. With a word, he could have been like, you know what? Forget you. You drink my water, you breathe my air, you look at my sunset, and you have the audacity to look out at all that and be like, there's no God. No. But he has patience. He desired none to perish. And he makes a way here. And I love where it says, while we are still dead in our trespasses. You, you can't be sweet enough for God. You can't be like, hey, I've got all these ducks in a row. Here's my resume. I mean, look at Paul. Paul's like, he had it all. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He had all these things, and it wasn't good enough. Just like we could not be, well, you know what, Lord, I, I'm not quite there yet. I th- still have some things I want to clean up. No. While you were still a dead sinner, he came down and he rescued you because he loved you. All right, we're going to jump to point three now. Our new identity. Over the years, I've heard this question, how do you know, how do you know that your faith is the right one? I mean, there's so many religions and, you know, how do you begin to navigate the question of who is God and which one is right? And I take so much comfort in the fact that because my, my faith is not, my salvation is not based on anything I could do. You want to find a man-made religion? Look at all the things you have to do. Look at the requirements. That's the way we're wired, right? You earn things. So if you're going to make a religion, the first thing you're going to do is put a list of things together that the followers have to do. Use that as your filter. In this one, you know what you have to do? Nothing. You have to recognize that you are dead and understand that without intervening work of God, the creator of the universe, you will continue in your deadness, and there is nothing you can do about it. Let's look at um, verses 8, 9, and 10. Great, uh, just sweet words. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Dave Doucette came and helped Dan and I once with, uh, or a few times with the uh, entertainment center. What, what if you were to stand up here and say, I made this great entertainment center? You'd be like, you can't boast on that. You didn't do it. You did one piece of it, so say that. God can boast in his creation because he made us, and now he redeemed us. He wants the credit. So as soon as you say, hey, I'm sweet, God, put me on your team. I go to Sunday school every week. I I did my quiet times every day. I I had opportunities to hit people, and I didn't. 
so, so pull me on the team. No, that's not the way it works. Right? You can't take credit for it. As soon as you say, I'm sweet and that's why I'm saved, you get the credit for that, right? And you, you don't get to take credit for what God has done. He made you alive. He saved you. He gets the credit. And that's okay because he did the work. All right, hold on. I lost my notes. Oh, I, let me give you... This is another illustration I have for you. You've heard of Martin Luther, right? Praise God for Martin Luther, who, um, I don't know if some of you know some of the background with him. He um, was the son of a copper miner, and he, um, his dad really wanted him to be a lawyer. So he went through, he had his undergrad by 19, he had his graduate degree by 22, and then he was in law school, and he was on his way home from law school. He gets, I love this, knocked off his horse by lightning. Right? And his, the, the words he uttered are, help me, St. Anne, I'll become a monk. I don't know about you guys, if I'm, if I'm knocked on, off a horse by lightning, that ain't coming out of my mouth. I'll tell you, no, I won't tell you. But it's not going to be good. And he says, help me, St. Anne, I'll become a monk. And guess what, 15 days later, he honors his commitment, he, he enters the monastery to his, his dad's great disappointment. So he enters the monastery, I'm going to be a monk and for a few years, he fidgets. It says the book that I, the biography I read, he just fidgets with the restlessness of, of God and how God could love him and, and how he just viewed God as the judge, just always pressing. And even though he knew the scriptures and he learned all this, he just never understood, always viewed God as just the, the, the thumb, like, you can't be good enough for me. You can't earn it. Just pushing him down. And I love, excuse me, I love this just little excerpt I'm going to read to you now. What he's about to, to say here is based on Romans, Romans 1, verse 17. I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Um, it says, For in it the right... He's, Paul's here talking about the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, so the, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then this is the verse. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, for in the gospel, in the right, for in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, um, for faith. Uh, and so, this is what he says: I had indeed been captivated with an extraordinary ardor for understanding Paul in the epistle to the Romans, but up until then, it was a single word in chapter one, verse seventeen. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That had stood in my way, for I hated the word, that word, righteousness of God, which according to the use and custom of all teachers, I had been taught to understand philosophically regarding the formal or active righteousness, as they called it with God, is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly um, murmur, murmuring greatly. I was angry with God. Um, and then he goes on. And then he says, I love this. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat importunately upon Paul at that place, most ardently desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. So he, he hates this, this feeling of unrighteousness and, and that God is after him and, and, and just judging him. And he, and he 
beats on the scriptures. I love that. Like when we're frustrated with something, do we just continue to go after it? He did. He said, I beat on St. Paul in that place. And at last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. Namely, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. So the point is, not only is our salvation a gift, our faith is a gift, right? And so here he is, this guy's in the monastery. He's studying the scriptures. That's all he does is study the scriptures. Yet he's not saved necessarily because he's still believing in his own works. I I can't be good enough for you. I, I try and try and try and I still don't feel. And God opens his heart, right? But God, the mercy of God opens our heart for faith and he believes. And it said he runs through the scriptures from memory. He had memorized the scriptures and now it's making sense. Now it's, he's plugging in the fact that we can't earn it. It's by Christ's righteousness. We were dead sinners. It needed, God is just. He's perfectly just. He needs a sacrifice. So we couldn't be made right without it. Christ is the sacrifice. Now, when God looks at angry, selfish sinners, he sees Christ. Praise the Lord. So let, let me hit faith just a, a moment because I think this is, these are important verses that even as believers we can get this wrong. And I think it's important that we, we just camp here for a moment. Hebrews 1 says, Faith, it's, it defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Now, when we remember back to what we said about Paul. Paul believed, right? But Paul didn't believe because he had faith, necessarily. Paul believed because he was knocked to the ground by Jesus. Now, I imagine if Jesus knocked you over on your way home today, you'd have no problem believing him. But that's not what we're called to here. We're called to faith, the conviction of things not seen. And what, what it says in Hebrews 2, it goes on to say, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things um, that are visible. So the conviction of things unseen. We haven't seen Christ. We understand the universe was created by a word. Now, you run into the people all the time, well, I don't believe in that, I believe in science. All right, Mr. Wizard, was something made out of nothing? Is your science proven that? No. So what are you having faith in? Scientific theory. But you're still having faith. So if you say, like, well, I don't believe in faith, I I believe in science. No. At some point, you're going to get to faith. And and I think, it's my personal opinion, it's far easier to believe that I am here because there was a great designer who thought about how the heart, human heart works. And he thought about how to knit me together. And, and it just screams intelligent designer. Uh, as opposed to just, hey, here we are. Right? That's going to take faith, but in my mind, a lot more faith. I'm going to hear about it. I know some of you are science freaks. I'm going to hear about this later. Just go easy on me. I already told you I'm not the brightest bulb in the lamp. Hold on, I'm lost again. All right. So our salvation uh, and faith is by grace. Our, Our salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus and not a result of anything we have done. It's not by our works. 
We are his workmanship. I love this too. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And and I also love if if you um, flip back one page or or go to Ephesians 1. So Ephesians 2 is about the gospel. Ephesians 1 is helpful in the sense that, and I'm just going to buzz through these real quick. If you look at chapter 1, verse 5, it says, He predestined us for the adoption as, as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And then in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. And 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what we learn there is, yeah, it's not about you. I mean, we're deceived to think we walk this earth, earth and it's about us, but it was always about his will. What, what he wants as the, it's his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for this, right? And he's entitled to say that because he did the work. He made us, right? But without that mind of, hey, who am I? Who's my identity? Without God, I'm nothing our bent is still selfishness and our agenda and our will, right? So even as believers, don't we have to check ourselves? I mean, don't we have to say, this is not, okay, this is not what I want to, like, I want to do this. God is calling me to do that. And selfishness will take, I mean, you just get caught up in it. It runs rampant, not only in, well, obviously in, in the unsaved circles, but also in the believing circles. Um. This is another, um, here's how I want to just simplify this and explain it a little bit more. And I, and I love this idea of a gift because it's hard to refute that. Uh, a few weeks ago, I took the day off. It was a Friday, and Alexandra needed a new bike. So what a, it was a great day. And you see kids' eyes light up. Hey, we're going to take you for a new bike. Her head almost exploded. And so we go to seven different stores with all three, all three of them. And we had a blast. I mean, it was just from one store to the next, every color, style of bike. Um, it was just, it was, it was a great time. And we found the perfect one at the seventh store. And so we navigated the crowds. We uh, enjoyed the time. We had several different zones of snacks that were done throughout those hours. Um, we got the bike. We paid for it. We came home. Now, again, indulge me with your imagination. If, if Alexandra were to come up to me and Becca and say, oh, this is awesome. But, but I, I, before I ride it, if you don't mind, I'm just going to you know, do some extra chores, maybe sell some lemonade. I just feel like, I feel strongly I need to repay you for this before I enjoy it. We'd be like, you're nuts. First of all, by the time you sold enough lemonade for, for, to pay this off, you'd need a new bike again. Like, you'd be outgrowing this one. And this wasn't our point. Like, we never wanted you to pay for your bike. We wanted you to enjoy it. All you have to do is ride it and smile a lot. And when you do that, Mommy and I are going to smile a lot. That's all. Right? And, and as believers, it, 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 we try to do this thing with God where we want to earn it. Now, again, that's our wiring. We are, and if it's not just our wiring from birth, we live in the United States, which is, hey, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You earn. That's how you get in life. You earn. And it's your agenda, and it's your stuff, and you're going to learn how to just earn it, right? And God is saying, no, not in this one. You can't earn it. There's no way you could repay it. 
And hear what I'm about to say, because this is this, my, my analogy, the bike falls apart in this. When you try, you cheapen the work Christ did on the cross. I'm going to say it again so it can wash over you. When you try to earn your salvation, you cheapen what Christ did on the cross. And none of us would say, we try to earn it. But let me paint it like this. I do my quiet time today. I do my quiet time tomorrow. I spend time in prayer. I do my quiet time a fourth and fifth day in a row. I walk around and I give godly advice to everybody. My head's held high and I have my my Bible tucked. Because guess what? I feel like I earned it. I earned good favor from the Lord. And then I don't do it for three or four days and I'm like, oh, God's unhappy with me. God's love for you is not based on performance. He just said, while you were still a sinner, he died for you. So, so Christian, why do you keep trying to earn it? Get it out of your head. Just like when, when I come home from work, Becca says I use too many kid illustrations, but it's, it's where I'm at right now, and, and it's just what I know. When I, when I come in the door, and Alexandra or Caroline, they run to me. I love that chapter. Some of you are not there anymore. That's okay. That's, you're in a different chapter. I'm in this chapter, and I want it. For as long as it, it takes, I want them to run to me, and I don't say, ho, 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 did you obey today? No. I wrap my arms around them and I squeeze them because I love them. And your God in heaven is saying, I love you. And this is what I've done. Hear it. You don't have to earn it. You never could. You never will. Stop trying so hard. Just what do you do with a gift? When someone gives you a gift, what do you do? You say, thank you. Lord, I love you. Later that night, after we were putting Alex to bed, you know what she said? Daddy, thank you for my new bike. That's it. Right? Is that it? That's all? And so here, Paul is saying, I, I saw him, you guys. I saw Christ. Here's what he's saying to you. Believe it. It's real. I know you have to have faith, but it's real. And he's pleading with dead sinners who have their back turns to God. They're turned. And they're like, forget you, God. I'm here for me. And that was never the design. And he knows it, and he puts a plan in place. But the gift has to be received, right? We can't just ignore it. At some point, we have to say, God, thank you. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. That's it. Now, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we have to understand, if he's Lord, I'm not. Right? He's Lord. So my agenda, my will, it has to be yielded. And that's what our confession is. Hey, I can't do this. We chase after. I love... I was reading in, um, all right, I use Wikipedia sometimes, all right? It's just easier. <laughs> the American Dream. I was reading through it. And, and I love being an American. Can I just say that? I mean, I am so proud of this country and the, and the freedoms we have. It, it affords us so much. But, but it can't, you can't go through the American Dream without talking about the Constitution and the, and the Declaration of Independence that says, pursuit of our own happiness, right? The chief end here is our happiness. Wrong it's not. But I say there's nothing wrong with happiness. We can't have it as our primary 
goal. All right, in closing, a couple points. What what do we do? Like, as a believer, let me talk to you for a moment. What do we do here with the gospel? And and I think it's, it's relatively easy, yet it's not something I do as much as I ought to. Remember who you were and what you were saved from, right? So when you're cut off, in the, on the highway, or you're in Walmart, remember, it was never about you, right? When you don't get your way, when you don't get the promotion, when things don't go quite the way you expected, remember, this was not about you to begin with. So we have to remember who we are before Christ, and then remind ourselves often what God did, the sacrifice that was paid for for our sins on the cross. I mean, it's just something we should be reciting to ourselves and to our heart that God loved us. I mean, think of a loving father who just wants to be with his kids. That's the father who loved you enough to die for you. We think, I think so often of the judge instead of the father, right? He is a righteous judge, yes. But no one wants, I heard this illustration, no one wants to go to see Avengers with the judge because he's just going to sit there and be like, that's illegal. You can't do that. You don't want to do that. You can't. No one wants to go to Avengers with the judge, right? Go camping with the judge. But you want to go with your dad who loves you. Let's think of our God not as the judge. He is judge, but he's your dad. In Luke it says, uh, do not worry, little flock, for your Father in heaven knows what you need and he's pleased to give you the kingdom. I mean, that is, he's the king, he's the father, and he's the shepherd. All those things, all that imagery, think of those things. He is pleased to give you the kingdom. And number three, stop trying to earn your salvation, but rather focus on appreciating it. And I love in Mark 9, there's a story of a man who brings his son to be healed. His son has demons from birth, and the disciples couldn't get rid of him. And they're confused. They're like, Lord, Lord, Jesus comes on the scene. We can't uh, heal this boy. And he said, well... um, He asks this father, um, or he says to him, because you believe, uh, your son will be healed. And this guy says, most amazing words ever. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right? We need that. We need, Lord, I do believe, but but I need more. Ask your father in heaven that he might increase your faith to believe more and more and more. And he'll open your eyes to the texts. If you're, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let me just say, and, and Stacy's kind of brought this up the last few times, he's, there's a decision to be made. And this isn't a drive-by guilting, right? Like, it's easy to just kind of make you feel guilty into this, and that's not where I'm headed at all. And I need you just to trust me and my, and my, and be my sincerity here. I love you. This is truth. I want you to come here. As, as Paul is convinced that Christ is Lord, so am I. And I'd be doing you a disservice to tell you any other message. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, here's what I can promise. You will live, and you will breathe. And you can enjoy all the grace that God has for you now. But the questions will come. They come for everybody. The questions are like this. You see a horrific car wreck, and it just twinges you like, wow, life is short. You don't know when it's coming. You're at a funeral, and the hopelessness of life, like, oh, man, I've, 
done so much. I've earned so much. Is this all that life is? I'm just telling you now, it's not. There's more. God loves you. He has a plan for you. This 80 years that we get, 90 years, God willing, is not all there is. Never was. He wants you to put, he's, he's coming after you and saying, love me. I've loved you. I've sacrificed. Now just receive the gift and have faith. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are good to us. And, and even the gift of the scriptures is so helpful for us. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and the experience that he had. We thank you for his teachings. Uh, we thank you most of all for your death on the cross, Jesus, that you would make a way for us, that even in the text it says, Lord, if it's po- God, if it's possible to take this cup from me, you would, but not my will, Lord, your will. So even Jesus yields to God's will. I pray that we would also. I pray that the folks in this room that know and love you would plead with you to increase their faith. And for those that aren't, that you change their hearts now, um, that they might run after the God who made them and loves them. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.